Jim Walton is a unicorn of a man. He made his Broadway debut at the young age of 25 years old. And at 63 years old, there is zero sign of him slowing down anytime soon. He has appeared in everyone's favorite shows from 42nd Street to Merrily We Roll Along, Sweeney Todd, and so much more. He has played leading men. He has been in the ensemble. He sings. He tap dances. He taught himself how to play freaking piano. He writes music and he vocal coaches. Jim is a comedian, a man who wears many faces when asked to do so, but his true self is kind, giving, and generous to those who get to share a space with him. His interview lit me up for days, and I truly hope it does the same for you. This is Jim Walton. It's fun to get to sit and talk about yeah, your like life. decades of work in this industry. I know. I don't know if that makes you feel. That's ah, good. No, I'm Do proud. Do you feel proud but, uh, of it? Like, oh yeah, proud. But also, it's like, oh shit. I'm, right. I'm 63. I keep forgetting. It's insane. I mean, I don't. I would be so curious. Like, I think of a Bernadette Peters. Mm. She's and, like got ten years on me, maybe. But like, start came in so young and just like blew up, and I kind of feel like there are very few people like her and like you who have sustained careers. Yes, I'll throughout take that. the decades. I didn't really blow up, but I, I'll take the sustained career. You're a, a minor little explosion. You're a over Broadway long. celeb. Um, she so <laughs> she obviously like oh, filtered into mega. a lot of things but I adore her. Oh you mention your name to anybody in the industry and they you know they know yeah. you and respect you that's nice to hear I feel very excited and honored that you're with me today I'm as honored to be with you I adore you and think the world of you so oh, I appreciate that oh well let's do let's this go best. don't worry I'll say that again when <laughs> So, the way we're starting this is basically tracking all the way back to Baby Jim. Yeah, I know. Um, And telling me what you were like as a kid. Just trying to understand, like, um, how we end up where we end up. What were you like? Were you outgoing? Were you shy? Um, I think it's a very um, complicated question to answer. But I think that deep down, really, I'm shy. So I developed an extroverted social mask to assimilate and to yeah. dominate at times. How to, you know, be the the boss of this situation, um, to, or like to be the funniest guy in the room, per, perhaps, yeah. or the, try to be the smartest. All of that male crap. Yeah. <laughs> so you found that you started doing that as a kid. I think I I was intuitive. As we all are to some degree intuitive enough to know how to be charming mm. to um how to uh, many things like oh i've got to learn to play piano by ear because that's amazing when somebody can just sit down and play a song do you know yeah. what i mean it's all of those things but i wanted to be noticed yeah but yet i was 
I felt like I'm still inside somewhat of a, an introvert. And, and, as and I've it's a, like an extroverted introvert, mm-hmm. right? And Je- I, I'm Jekyll and I. Yeah. You're, Je- uh, yeah. <laughs> you're two very different personas. I kind of. I like that, though. I think that's the balance of um, sometimes the misconception of people in the industry. I was just talking to a family member about it, how I don't like to be necessarily the center of attention in social settings. Mm-hmm. I feel uncomfortable if it's a birthday party yeah. for me. I feel yeah. uncomfortable in those ways. I know people like that. But then I want to be heard yes. in the ways that I want to be heard. So exactly. then I'm not shy in those ways. Yes, it's interesting. It's balance. Yeah, I guess you're right. It is balance. I thought of it just today during the Stars in the Alley. We were watching the, the shows go before me and all oh, the people are so excited and screaming and I'm just going, what? Ah. Uh, you know, uh, meaning as I've gotten older certain things don't excite me as much as they did when I was sure. 23, 33. Sure. Uh, now at 63, it's like, oh, this is good. This is all good, but um, let's do this. And You're calmer. Yeah, yeah. Which I think one would only hope that you end up gaining that. Sure. Uh, quiet confidence or quiet security in your mm-hmm. life. Um, but going back to childhood, no, though, I yeah. also think that I was kind of a goofy kid and mm. I remember one of my early nicknames was people called me Walnut because of Walton you know Walnut meaning that. you nut <laughs> um, which I, I liked even then yeah and I was almost like the closet class clown meaning I wanted to be the disruptor in class but I knew I'd hear it from my parents so I couldn't be so I was a bit of a time bomb did like, you find you were a silent killer though you would come out with something yeah yeah sometimes oh, I just couldn't hold back that's hysterical or I would say something clever to the person next to me and they'd start laughing and then we'd get Pass the attention of the teacher <laughs> yeah so it was almost like I was too I had to be a good boy but deep down I kind of wanted to disrupt a little bit but not out of anger yeah. just, just for attention but you had something to say you were already kind of creating things mm-hmm. um and that humor probably, obviously, will come to it, but um, probably has served you in different ways. Oh now yeah, into yeah, your absolutely. Career. But that was welcome too as a child. I'm one of five children, and oh, wow. around the dinner table, humor and ironic viewpoints on subject matter were welcome. Oh, awesome! You know what I mean? My yeah. father was was like that more than my mother, to my recollection. But uh, and were your parents or anybody involved in the arts or how did you start I guess finding a way to um, facilitate that humor was that what led you into starting to play around with theater well that's a long story too but the shorter version <laughs> we got is, time I know that's great I'm very lucky my <laughs> parents were in the medical field my father was a pediatrician and my mother was a trained registered nurse wow so they were not artists or theater people but they loved music and the theater they bought a piano when I was maybe six or seven years old and my older sister played the piano Joan and I watched her play and I thought well I've got to do that I've got to what, how does she play with both hands yeah. and it makes sense if she can do it well then maybe I can and mm. so that was really the beginning for me was playing piano and then singing in church choirs got it and my parents sang in the church choir as well oh really yeah Oh, that's so they did have talents. My father also played the trombone growing up, and so he had a trombone, which I inherited when he passed. And I played the trombone. You know, I just... I, the joke is I grew up in Indiana. There was nothing else to do. So sure, I played the piano, the trombone. I played the drums for a while. I, I played the drums for a hot second. did? Like a, a trap solid, set? like, ten months of drum lessons. Oh, that's I've fun. played almost... I mean, I if I counted, it probably would be over five instruments for under a year of my See? life. 
but I was That's... bad at all of them. Mm, okay. No gift for it. I no was, gift. I was okay. I wasn't great at. Mm. I stayed with the piano, which you know I'm good depending on what I'm playing. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, oh no, I'm. You don't want me to play this. Cause, totally. Uh, it's uh, beyond me. So you were playing a bunch of instruments. You, mm-hmm. your parents obviously supported that because they Very had much. an appreciation for it. They did. Um, and then how did that grow from a hobby to you being like, is this something people actually do for a living? Well, there's yeah. The short story to that is there was a man named Richie Walton. Shout out to Richie Walton. Yeah, no relation. Oh, interesting. Same last name. <laughs> but this man was so integrated into our community and into my family. He was the church, my church choir director. He was also the choir director, head music director at the high school that I would later attend. Because I met him when I was maybe five or six. Oh, wow. Because of church. Yeah. Um, and he directed musicals at Marion High School, which is Marion, Indiana, where I'm from. And we would always go to see the musicals. Mm. And I was spellbound by all kinds of musicals, but namely, uh, especially The Music Man, but My Fair Lady, George M., uh, Half a Sixpence, I'm trying to remember the musicals, wow. like Roar the Grease Paint, Smell of the Crowd. Um, these are musicals I saw, and it was, again, I was a closet, I want to do that, but Ooh. I don't think I have the talent. I never thought I had the goods. Because right. I was only 10, 12, I didn't know what I could do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just, <gasps> and then by the time I was about 12 or 13 in middle school, I wanted more than anything that when I got to high school to be in what was called the swing choir, which Richie, Mr. Walton, I called him and still do. Oh. Uh, he passed in 2000 mm. and um, uh, he directed it. And it was maybe, what, 18 to 20 young people wearing, you know, matching outfits and they had <laughs> stepladders and they would sing show tunes. Wow. And with minimal choreography and big smiles and a very ingratiating glitz. So it was only show tunes? It was mainly show tunes, okay. but some pop sort of songs. Oh, very cool. Because um, a lot of choir, I mean, I don't know many that would exist like that now. I can think of friends of mine who were in it, choirs in high school that sang mostly classical music sure. you know so to have they, that resource it was probably cool they did some of that as well but he Mr. Walton also uh, conducted what was called the concert choir that I was a part of my sophomore year and mm. they sang more the liturgy of um, um, religious music and yeah. English church music but um, you know my eyes have seen the glory of the country yes, that, there's totally. a very famous spread wearing arrangement that was classically what they sang, but the swing choir got to do the box step and oh, sway. Yes, that's what we like to hear. And sing, you know, get me to the church on time. Yes. In harmony. And these little stories that he would choreograph and create. Well, then my junior cool. year, I got into that choir. So almost after age 16, I'd made it. <laughs> yes, you're like, I nailed it. I've yeah. gotten to where I want to go. Yeah, because, Brittany, if you think about it, I was dreaming of that for. At least six to eight years. Mm. And I got it. And then I was in this choir. I was one of the five tenors. And uh, then I was in a senior year, and I was, he gave me um, some creative responsibilities. I choreographed a little bit, and I was some, like an associate musical director because I could play and I could go over parts with wow. people. And so he was great at, at that. And he's, he was a huge, huge huge inspiration and mentor mm. to me my most important one ever in my life oh I love that we've and with a lot of the people I've sat down with we've talked about that 
yeah. person who sure. was the um, the helped you turn the corner yeah. from realizing what you could do yeah. and what you were capable of. Yes. And on that note, to take it to the next step, I yes, remember please. when I auditioned for three colleges or universities uh, when I was a senior. And how did you find those at that time? Did your teacher help you? Was uh, it like, oh, maybe. you should go to school for music? Well, he ultimately did. That's okay. where I was going to. But I auditioned to be a to get a Bachelor of Arts degree at two colleges in Indiana so I, I would be a teacher. But I oh, okay. also auditioned for the Conservatory of Music at the University of Cincinnati to get right. a Bachelor of Fine Arts, after which I would be a performer. I went, well, I want to be a performer. Yeah. So I you was accepted there. got in. I, I did, <laughs> and I remember Mr. Walton being in our dining room in my house, talking to my parents, and I was there, saying that he, he gave a very serious... Um, that's the word summation of me saying that he believed I had the talents and the goods to make a living in the theater and he fully supported them sending me to the University of Cincinnati was like holy cow yeah this is this is heavy I mean this man not only inspired me as a boy mentored me as a very young man but then basically said there's your there's your path that's pretty incredible yeah what an incredible um moment to have yeah. in your life because yeah. that's not something everybody gets no, no. that reassurance at a young age um that probably has served you oh i think of them every the day years. i think of them every day oh every day. Yeah. oh i love that yeah so then you went to ccm i did which is crazy i mean there's probably been a, know a lot of folks i do i do and it's so fascinating because i'm so curious about your thoughts on if you have noticed a difference between education now versus the education you felt you received then. Um, because I do think there is a interesting culture now. And I I don't know if I was the beginning, my year, I feel like all of a sudden people were really talking about unifieds, which is now a thing where um, colleges come to New York and you audition for, for like, showcase and yeah, it's like yeah. 10 different schools that you can audition for for college. And I remember people telling me about it and now obviously because of social media and different resources on the internet. Now it's like people have all of that information handed to them and we were like trying to gather information as quickly as we could. But it's interesting because I do think it's um, the beginning of creating this cycle in our industry of if you don't get into the best schools, you're not going to be successful. And then we try to create these I don't want to say robots. We talk a little bit about how um, you want to you want your kids to always work. So mm-hmm. then we're teaching people how to be what everyone else needs. So we're not really facilitating the human beings along. So Bringing obviously their own specific artistry. Out. Yeah, and what um, what options and how to navigate New York City and the things that actually are so much bigger than even your job, you know, because the rejection and the anxiety that can come along with that and the unemployment, I mean, those are inevitable even for the most talented person. Um, So I don't know if we do a perfect job quite yet in education of really preparing students for that um, and talking about survival jobs and unemployment and money and 
difficult jobs and how to navigate those things. So I'm curious what your experience was at CCM um, and kind of what you've noticed now in the growth of musical theater education. Well, that's a full subject too. <laughs> we can talk a yeah. full episode about it. I could yeah. as well. I have to, my disclaimer is that I don't really know. I know yeah. a lot more about what I got yeah. and what I didn't get at Cincinnati at, sure. at, at the university. And the CCM people that I've met and worked with, I know them more, the ones I've worked with, and I think they're fine and talented and hardworking and fully deserving of the success they've gotten. It's, I'll bet you're right that, that students now are taught how to fit into what the teachers expect will be expected of them mm. once they get to New York rather than finding what it is about them. How can they really make this song work about their own specific character of their lives? and how yeah. can? But, of course, that's what an acting teacher hopefully does. Right. And a vocal coach, acting coach does. And I think just through human experience, you end up yes. finding it. I feel like four years post-school now, I'm just figuring out all the things I am that I wasn't allowed to be when I was in school. Yeah. And that probably I didn't have the uh, confidence yes. to find yet. Yes. So that just comes, I no doubt, even if I felt like I was allowed to be that person, I wouldn't have even known what that was at that point in time. Um, I have that too. Yeah. Um, for me, I think back to my musical theater coaching classes that we took once a week all four of the years with this great professor named Oscar Kosarin, who was our who's a brilliant musician and we'd go in and sing our song sometimes three or four times and trying to make it land better in this very a room almost the size of this room not big guys it's a small room yeah 10th <laughs> floor of Ripley Greer but yes, it's intimate it's and beautiful yes <laughs> um and I remember feeling then uh, or hearing that what they do what these teachers do is they they jab you emotionally psychologically and break you down so yeah. you cry and you're you're empty and drained yes. and then they build you up and I, I remember even at 18 19 thinking well, I don't want that that's like a, a crock of shit which me it think is about it. to me it is because later on I, I went into an acting class here in the city the, the Meisner technique with mm. a great teacher named Phil Gushy and it will he taught differently. It was based on on, on trust, I would mm. say. Not so much, I trust Phil. I did. But he was almost so neutral. He was just all about letting the work be better and how you, I could find my emotion more fluidly and keep it going. And I learned to trust myself and my I instrument. I love that. I you love know, the I hate to trust. say my instrument because it sounds so phony. I hate I, that. But. I think it's one of the funnier things in what we do is those certain words. Yes. But it's true. The it journey is I'm taking as journey, a character. The journey, my sacred space. I'm not space. sure my instrument. Yes, yes my I'm gift. going to endow my props now. Thank you. But I think the word trust is actually yeah. really yes. um, powerful uh, in oh, describing yeah. that. Yes, and... And I've worked with directors who instill that mm -hmm. and some that don't. Yes. So I realize early on, all right, I have to relax with this director that isn't really making me feel comfortable in the room mm -hmm. or safe. Yeah. Safe to make a mistake, safe to ask a question, safe to say, I don't know what's going on here. Right. Right. Um, so I remember in college, I didn't have the wherewithal. 
I was too defensive. Sure. I still am a defensive person at times, and I, I was, and I, mm. I wouldn't let somebody tear off one shred of what, what was me. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I had Absolutely. To, I had to get there some other way, and I, I did the best I could. I had a lot of personality, but as far as calm emotion... I didn't. I wasn't in touch with it so much totally. as an actor. But well, you're 18 or 19. I really didn't have. No one had died. No one had. Yeah. I hadn't experienced grief, mm-hmm. or I had never been in love. Yeah. I was barely a virgin. You yeah. know. I mean. So why? Why do you want me to? Yeah. Experience something in, in this room or on the stage that's beyond my. Experience in life. Oh, I I think that's so interesting, and I I think it's um. I haven't thought of it like that in the sense of so much of, um, you know, I had, sure, we all had certain things that I didn't know how to access certain emotions that maybe I could have from things from my earlier years or whatever, but I hadn't experienced massive amounts of grief like a lot of young adults maybe had. Sure. Um, So that's an interesting point. You're trying to access emotions that are not, not you haven't had yet yeah they're not activated yeah they're there waiting to be touched by Mm. a terrible loss Mm. or loss of some falling in love and falling out of love and then disillusion whatever yeah all of that happened for me later but not yet yeah but (laughs) then again i have to say oscar kosarin and others at cincinnati i think we're patient with me sure so i'm not blaming them at all I think they were patient with me, maybe in part knowing, well, Jim, he's he's maybe got some defenses. He's got to just kind of work through those as time passes. And I, yeah. I, I have and I still am. And I don't think, um, I definitely think a lot of professors and educators are doing so many things right. So I don't mean to yeah. um, criticize work that's being done because I think yeah. educators are, have one of the most important jobs in the world. Absolutely. Um, and there's so much that is being done well. I just think musical theater and art is a really tough thing to codify. And I think we're every school is attempting to codify it a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're watching kids graduate from a version of that every version being different and especially right now because of social media and uh, resources that were not um, available when you were coming out of school it's creating very interesting energy when you come out of school it's a sense of desperation a sense of um, definitely not calm I don't think I don't know if there's like (laughs) confidence a quiet confidence quite yet because you come out with all of this stuff that you learned and you feel powerful and ready to go and then you get here and you're like what do I do totally yeah I I had that I think as well what was your transition coming out of your program did you come straight to the city no I did not okay I am was lucky that all through my college years, every summer after freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, I worked at a great theater in northern Indiana called the Wagon Wheel Playhouse. Yes, Wagon Wheel. They did, it was two-week stock. Love um, it. Non-equity stock. So if you were in the full season, you were in six musicals. Wow. You might have the lead in one or two, maybe even three. and But then you'd be in the ensemble for the other three. Um Great way to cut your teeth, to, to grow up and learn and watch other performers and say, well, what is it that makes her good? What is it that makes him yeah. so good? Yeah. I found my summer stock experiences to be 
an extension of my college education, yes. which probably is not the way uh, everyone feels about it during college. Not everybody's ready or um, has that same experience, but yeah. I felt the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was lucky to yeah. do that. And through that, I met a man named Todd Scarce, who was the was a, um, a stage manager at the Wagon Wheel Playhouse. Well, he ended up, he was also a set designer. Mm. So he ended up in Naples, Florida. I'm... I know, it's crazy. As Florida a set girl. designer. Are you? Oh, right. Yeah, but I'm other side of Florida. Jacksonville, where are you from? I'm from West Palm. West Palm, yeah, just right across. Yeah, almost. it could wave. Well, the Naples <laughs> Dinner Theater was there then. Yeah. And he was, Todd was a set designer there. And through him, I met a man named Jim Fargo, who was the resident... Was he the resident director? I think he was. Mm. And he directed shows and acted in shows there. Well, I went there. Uh, I was hired as a musical director. That's how I started. Wow. Playing the piano for shows. So obviously your piano skills are maybe better than you're well, letting us believe here. I Maybe. But I mean, <laughs> what I can do is if I have time, all right, I'm going to play the score of two by two, which is me and a drummer. All right. Well, then I, I work on it and I go, well, I'm not going to. I'll play the string line there because that's necessary and I'll just oompa oompa on the bass you know I can I know how to um, condense a score somewhat down to a playable wow uh, but I learned that in college just by playing show music yeah. for people yeah uh, that's an amazing skill set oh yeah I, big I, time I love it if I don't I play I the piano play. every day I think something's missing if I don't oh, I love that so I was there as a musical director then after a year they put me in a show mm-hmm. room service it was a straight play a comedy a farce yeah and I got my equity card I'm talking 1978 mm. and then I went back home to Indiana for a couple of months because well I was done it, I'd done a few shows in Naples and my father kept saying when are you going to move to New York Jim when are you moving to New York like, oh, you know, I, I got to do that. Yeah. Did a lot of your classmates go off to New York? They did. I had a lot of friends in New York. And you just didn't feel that sort of like pressure to go right away? You were enjoying what you were doing? I and... was. And then I got this job in the fall of 1977 mm. after my last summer at Wagon Wheel. And I thought, well, yeah, let me go down there. I'll save a little money. And I'll try to get my equity card. That was my plan. And it worked. And at that point, getting your equity card um, probably was a more logical step at that point in time because right now I mean I know people struggle with deciding if they should take their cards because being non-union is its own industry now there's so many so many tours so many tours so many regional jobs which I don't um, I was non-union for eight years so I I understand it and I respect it so much however um, there's obviously its own downfall to the payment and treatment but at that point I'm sure it was most people were trying to get their equity yes, cards right I, away. Yeah. I, after four years at some theaters in Cincinnati and at the Wagon Wheel Playhouse, I had done 20 to 30 musicals. Wow. And I just thought, I'm ready to Time. go. I don't want to move to New York and work non-equity. I, I, yeah. I don't need to move to New York for that. Yeah. I could stay in Indiana, Cincinnati. Um, and so I uh, wanted to earn some money. I wanted $5,000. I'll never forget it. 1970, I, I said, if I can go to New York with $5,000 and an equity card, phew, I got it made. Yes. And of course, within two weeks, the money was gone. Oh. I, because first uh, uh, security, first month, uh, second month. Yeah, is, apartment you know. runs you dry yeah. already. And that's also so much of what you don't realize coming into no, New York. Didn't tell you that. Is the apartments and how difficult it is to find something. And then you have to basically sell your firstborn to like yeah. get 
a decent home in the city and then you're working how many jobs to sustain it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty it crazy. It can be very soul crushing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I was lucky. I didn't really experience that because I had saved money and within two to three months, oh, first I went back to Naples. I remember I moved here and then after about a month, I went back to Naples to musical direct one last show there because they, they said, here's two months of work. What do you think? I said, okay, all right. Count me in. And I thought, well, why not? I've got this apartment and I had a roommate. And um, so... Uh, went would, down, you did that. Yep, came back. So this is like spring of 1979, 40 years ago. 40 years. 40. That's crazy. Isn't that wild? It's so wild. It's more wild that 40 years ago... You had started, we're sitting here 40, 40 years later with Talking you being in a Broadway show, and we will get to all of that, but your yeah. your longevity is freaking epic. So I'm epic. Really, yeah, I'm very <laughs> grateful, you know. So what was the um, job after Naples? Tell us. Oh, my God. Well, I back then, there was no internet, of course. Uh, you bought Backstage Magazine. Yes. It came out every Wednesday, I believe it was. And, and that's how you found out about auditions? Yeah, you would look through the auditions. You, I would go Because I had my equity card now, so I went down the line of equity shows. Oh, my God, amazing. And, oh, I'd circle, yeah, I guess I could go in for that. This, oh, yeah, oh, they want a piano player? Oh, maybe I'll go in for that. It's a review. All right. It was called Big Bad Burlesque. <laughs> Sounds like my kind of show. <laughs> you would have been awesome in it. <laughs> Thank you. It was at, at the Orpheum Theater where Stomp has been for, yep. since before you were born. Yeah, probably, the you know, long ass time. Second Avenue and 8th Street. Incredible. And uh, it was put together by this man named Don Brockett, who was from Pittsburgh. It was okay. a big, kind of big deal in Pittsburgh, and he created this review and wrote it, put it all together, which was kind of in a a valentine to the days of burlesque and there were like three or four men in it and six to eight women Hmm. um and i played the piano oh and i was up on this little second level above them i played the piano and then on my resume back then maybe you still have it i had special skills we do it's a it's an interesting little um section these days yes I, you feel the opposite of special when you're writing down those yeah, skills. Like, Unless you really have incredible special stick, skills that drive I, a stick shift. I'm like Florida driver's license, yeah. I make great meatballs. Like, yeah, I don't know why like, that's all I got All of my yeah. skills are special. I'm like, I, I record podcasts. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, you are doing a great, isn't she, ladies and gentlemen? Oh my God, very You're sweet. awesome. But it's so interesting. I think it's incredible for the people who like flip and breathe fire and do all these crazy <laughs> things. But everybody else, you're like, you feel like you've never done enough. Yeah. So what did you write in your special Well, skills? one of them back, I don't have, I don't list them anymore, but one of them was some of the instruments that I played. Which, absolutely, like, that like section. Like trombone of, and oh. drums. I put drums on there. So, Don Brockett, first of all, I auditioned. I probably sang a song for him. And then he said, uh, and I played something, and he said, do you play any ragtime? And I said, I know Joplin's Maple Leaf Rag. Yeah. And I played it, and he went. Love that show said, could you learn Kitten on the Keys? I said, I, I, I could play it, whatever it is. Yeah, I, I, I can read music. So I learned all these songs. A lot of them ragtime uh, song, vaudeville, ragtime. Mm. And so I played, I was back to, I was on this upper deck and I played the piano and on my left foot I had a hi-hat, you know, when yeah. the cymbals that... Do I ever, yeah. And a snare drum. 
Mm-hmm. So I could I could play the piano a hi hat on the off beats. Hot and bat on two and four, the hi hat. And then I'd stop playing and I'd pick up the six and go, and back to the piano. So I played the piano and drums. And you didn't sing, you didn't do anything else in the show? Well, this is so epic to me because of your skill set. So crazy. Wow. I, I it, it was kind of ghetto. Like, even then, away. I thought it was a little ghetto. Just like, what are we no, doing? No, not even in the slightest. That's the most epic thing I've ever heard because of where your career ends up going, which we will get there. Um, there was moments so at the, the top of Act Two because I also uh, listed these roles that I had tap danced. And so he said he wanted me to tap dance. I said, well, who's going to play the piano? Well, nobody. Maybe we'll have a tacit tap dance with you and Danny Herman, who was this young, great dancer in the show. And so... To get, <laughs> oh, I'm scared. <laughs> to get from the, there are two ways to get down from the top floor. One was the stairs that you would naturally walk up like a human being, but if you wanted to get there quicker, right. they put in a fire pole. <laughs> of well, course. I mean, that's a quick fix yeah, right yeah. there. You know, like how Sweeney got from his place down to Mrs. Lovitz was the fire. Percent. No, I don't <laughs> yeah. think so. So I slid down a fire pole. Oh, I started Act Two wearing tap shoes on my feet, and I played a little bit. Then, oh, Danny was dancing. God. I don't remember. I wish it were on video. And then I went over to the fire pole, slid down, tap danced with Danny, did tap dance for I don't know, sixteen bars, and then ran up the steps and played oh, the rest of Act Two my in God. my tap shoes. That is insane. It just sounds. <laughs> I just, I it's just so crazy because you really can do so many things. Well, yeah, and my first job was like. What doing all of do? them. Yeah. Wait, you took French in high school? What if we, you we'll know, throw I, that I, in there. Totally. <laughs> Which it is, I mean, a little bit of how the industry is now, too. It's like, we could find a way to include sure. sword swallowing in our show. Oh, gosh. That would be incredible. Oh, and Big Bad Burlesque, there probably was sword swallowing. Totally. I don't remember. There was... It's like, how do we make it even bigger? And yeah. we work so hard to sing, dance, and act well. Sure. And then you go... I should have freaking learned how to play the piano and drums at the same time. Yeah, if only. I missed well, my, my calling. To commend Don Brockett, and others we'll maybe mention later, I believe review format calls for personalities and special skills. Donna Sontag, who was one of my best friends, it was my best friend, also in Big Bad Burlesque, she had that she played the flute. So they, uh, on like Poor Butterfly, some song, she played this flute line that I wrote. That, so we did mm. a piano flute thing. And she was like wearing a bikini. Because it was yes, Burlesque, she was wearing, I don't know what she was wearing, but she was playing the flute. And she yes. got mentioned in the New York Times Review. I mean, this was... Absolutely. And we, Donna and I were cynical, even then. I, I was 23. Three to twenty-four years old. Wow! Thinking, oh, this is this is really terrible. <laughs> and then the Times review came out, and it was really good. Wow! And we went, oh no, we're gonna run. I cannot believe that. How long did it run? Do you remember? I don't remember because I left it early. Because to of, do what? Pardon me. To do what? Well, uh, gosh, it's a, it's a little fuzzy to me. <laughs> I know I went to Pittsburgh for a time to do a review, a Candor and Ebb review mm. there called Class. Because another yeah. friend of mine who was in Big Bad Burlesque, Tammy, um, her name was Tammy Brandy at that time. That's a great uh, name. Yeah, now Shout it's Tammy, Tammy Wyatt. Brandy. Yeah, uh, Tammy Wyatt now. Uh, oh. She was in it and they lost Brent Barrett. You may know who Brent Barrett is, but yes. he's a very successful singing actor in New York. He was in it, but he was going to New York, I think, to do West Side Story revival. 
revival, thank you. Yes. <laughs> and she said, oh, Jimmy Wallen could probably do this. And she called, it'd be four weeks, you'd come in and I thought, oh, okay. Because I had also booked to go into a, an off-Broadway musical called Scrambled Feet at Art DeLugoff's Village Gate, which is now closed. It's on um, a Bleecker Street, Bleecker and Thompson. It's Amazing. a renowned club, jazz club downstairs, bar, restaurant, and a club up top of the gate where Scrambled Feet played. Wow. And um, it was a very successful review, four-person review. And we all, guess what, played the piano and sang and acted. We played for each other, for ourselves. That's incredible. So I basically, my, my career in many ways would never have taken off or begun so easily had I not played the piano. It was playing the piano. I think that's incredible. I mean, I, and obviously tap dancing comes back in um, oh, several yeah. times in your life. Sure. And I have found, thank God I learned to tap dance. Oh yeah. Because now I, now I do a little bit more, that, more shows that don't have any. But when I was, my first few shows were all tap dance. I love tap dance. Oh, totally. And I'm thrilled about it because I really do love love the art form but um i'm curious so now at this point you're doing reviews you're traveling but you're in new york were you working pretty consistently um and then what was next what was your big next project yeah i did work pretty consistently scrambled feet i was a replacement part of the replacement cast okay uh the original four slowly they did it for the first i don't know six months maybe longer, and then they found people to cover for them when they were out, and then we sustained. Uh, but then, I think it took me right up to my Broadway debut, which was called Perfectly Frank, a review. Yes, I was just going to say. In which I guess what? Played the piano. It was it Frank Lesser? Frank Lesser. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. It was at the old Helen Hayes, which was torn down a couple of years later. Yes. It was across from the Lunt Fontaine, yep. uh, which is where the marquee uh, Incredible. theater hotel is now is um, so I left Scrambled Feet to, uh, to make go your big that, debut make, but it ran two weeks so that that job probably lasted two months let's say four weeks of rehearsal two weeks of tech previews maybe maybe it was two and a half maybe it was ten weeks so now how was that to have your Broadway debut be cut so short how was that emotionally for you that wasn't easy that was not an yeah. easy one yeah do you, do, was that something you were prepared for had people warned you that shows could all of a sudden just close or I'm was sure it I a harsh that. reality um that things are not safe in this industry yeah. it was probably both Brittany I probably yeah. knew that those things happened yeah but until you experience exactly. it exactly it's like you know when you get stabbed with a knife, it's going to really burn. Yeah. You know, okay, ow, that really burns. Totally. No one told me that really burns. We told you. Totally. So. How did you um, I've never been stabbed, recover from so I, I, just, I don't know I'm if I believe to, you. Well, I don't know. Well, I had, I did have a, uh, an injury with a sword going through. That's what this scar is beneath my right eye. No. Can Are you, you lying? It? No, no, no. What, what else would it be? Why could I? No, I was staging a sword, a rose, and a cape for a production of Carousel. I mean, um, Carnival. Oh my, I was like, what? Carousel? Yeah. And, yeah. It's like, I don't know if I've seen my that production. Yeah, totally. Uh, um, yeah. Anyway, we can come back. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I just kind of want to hear, because... Um, Yes, what I hope to talk pressure. about on this podcast a lot is those moments that maybe we don't highlight as much because we really just want to focus on 
the jobs and yeah, the successes. They, and I really would love for you to talk about um, as much as you can. It doesn't even have to be about this show. Specifically, if there's one that you remember more clearly, what it was like and how you navigated that difficulty coming out of uh, what you thought would be a really life-changing experience. And I'm sure it was in a lot of ways, but differently. Well, it was great, you know, to get a Broadway credit. And yeah. I worked with Ron Field, who was who directed and choreographed, who was a, a director who I adm- admired. And yeah. he was very nice and kind to me and gave me encouragement, etc. So it was really good in that sense. Mm. And I could actually put on my resume Broadway. Yeah. Um, I went back to Scrambled Feet mm. uh, after a couple of months, I think. Um, it's nice that you had that yes, option. I, yes, I yeah. was lucky yeah. to have that. And they, I, I don't remember who was covering for No one was covering for me. Somebody went in and they either weren't happy with him or he was. He got another job. So I got, they just called me. I think that's what happened. He got another job. So they went to Jim Walton again. Uh, but I remember when it closed that a few of us were, when Perfectly Frank closed, we... Um, on opening night, uh, Broadway shows back then, I'm not sure the tradition has continued, the restaurant called Barrymore's, which doesn't exist anymore, yeah. would send each cast member a red apple. The Barry, You would get the Barrymore apple. It's a real apple that you could eat. Wow. And I remember a few of us, you know, we did the show, opening night, go to the party, you read the reviews, which were not good. Mm. So at some point in that coming week could have been the second night after the show a few of us sorry Barrymore's took our apples into the alley and smashed them hurled them against the wall in anger oh as almost a ritual our way of saying F you F you but not Barrymore's but just the world the critics the way that just totally destroyed the show yeah Yeah. and I was 25 and changed then Um, so and I remember I was, I was, I guess I was angry. It's really hard for me to remember how sure. I felt. I know I was disappointed. Anger would make sense, you yeah. know, especially in this industry. Like, um, and you don't know where to put it. it yeah, it yeah, just like lives like, there and you don't know how to release it. No, you can't go out on stage that next night yeah. and give an angry performance. Exactly. To, and flip everybody off just because you got a, a bad review. Yeah. Because some uh, people, number one, don't read the reviews. Yeah. And people, I'm sure at that point in time, people maybe would read more reviews because now um, there's just so many ways to find out about shows that are playing. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. The, the world, journalism has changed. The internet yeah. has changed. Audiences have changed. And and their start, this was before the Weislers, Barry and Fran Weisler started casting TV and movie stars in shows. Yeah. 1980 it was still just musical theater people and did you find that was a really I've spoken to a couple dancers during that time who were like we would go to auditions I'd see my same girls over and over again and if I didn't book the show I was like you know what you get this one I'll get the next one it was very much like a shared um, community and experience I still have that I, I, I feel like I've always had that oh I love that and like when I go to an audition my brother Bob who's also He's a very talented, successful singing actor, writer, everything. Awesome. He'll say, who was there? And we all say together, the usual suspects. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Oh, you saw so-and-so, you saw so-and-so. I won't list their names, but I see the same guys. Yeah. I have that a little bit, and um, I'm grateful now. I find that I have this group of women that I see at most of the 
appointments or auditions that I go to and it's turned into a really supportive and kind community which Mm -hmm. I really appreciate Um, but I don't know if that exists for everybody because I do think an audition experience now can be pretty toxic I think it can be and especially in my opinion for younger people going in for ensemble roles I think that might be more competitive yes because usually I think ensemble people go in and you're all learning the same dance routine do you know what I'm saying yeah actors go in you might all be reading the same scene but you're not in the room together right you're, right you're coddled actors are coddled more by casting and by creative teams I, I agree I agree a hundred percent um and you've been on both sides you've played I, leads yeah. and you've been in the ensemble yeah. so I think that's a really oh, yeah. valuable it's, perspective it's uh you can re- I can really feel it when ah. I'm in a show in the ensemble and when I'm in the show as a as a principal. And I understand it um, to a certain extent because um, there is a responsibility as a principal. Sure, yeah, um, that makes sense. And I can I can only fathom that feeling of living every day knowing that you have to give a certain performance and there's a certain expectation every night. Um, and whether, depending on how you facilitate that performance and how you're able to... Um, live your life in order to give that that mm. uh, that's difficult so I do understand a certain amount of it um, but I don't know why it's so other side of it for the ensemble well that's hard for me to answer yeah. and I don't mean to diss any ensemble people or choreographers the no, dance world absolutely. I remember in college even as early as age 20 I, I remember it coming into my consciousness oh I'm not really leaning towards the dance world mm. because back then I was starting to take ballet and jazz classes I was I was trying trying my best to improve as a dancer sure but I realized I want to be a better dancer so I can be a better tap dancer mm. that's what I want I wanted to be Fred Astaire I didn't want to be even Gene Kelly I didn't want to be uh, you know Baryshnikov or, mm-hmm, you know yeah. they, I thought that they were amazing dancers but I I, I'd sit for hours and watch a stare more than any other dancer in the world. That's what spoke to me and still does. So I remember kind of going more towards the acting singing world even mm. in college and, sure. and saying, well, I'm not going to be a great ballet dancer. I kind of had to surrender that by age 20. And I think it was smart for me to do that. Sure. I um, think it's interesting too of um, being in the ensemble is an incredibly difficult job. Yes. And not everyone has dreams of not doing that and being a principal. And I think that's a huge misconception for people who are not in the industry necessarily. I spoke, I can think of two conversations I had with people who are not in the industry. One where a gentleman um, at the job I used to work at part-time uh, it was a retail job, Lululemon, shout out. Um, he said something along the lines of, you know, I can't believe the dancers on Broadway don't make barely any money. And I said, oh, actually, you know, there's a union that protects us from <laughs> making barely any money. We're not making millions. And we get but a pension and health yeah, insurance. Yeah, we have a lot of... And not when you get bad. that Broadway show, the difference between that and being unemployed is pretty huge. And he had the misconception that if you were in the ensemble, you were making pennies, and if you were a lead, you were making zillions, which isn't the the difference between the two. 
is much smaller than he realized. Yes, there's a difference. Sure, right. which I understand. And you pay for a certain skill set or you pay for what you need in that show and I get it. And then I've had one moment where I had a woman say to me, you know, even if my son could get a job in the ensemble, like there are a lot of ensemble people who are very talented who just haven't gotten their big chance They're yet. Big and I was right. like, ooh. People, and I corrected her, I was like, they're... The people who are in ensembles in Broadway, in regional, anywhere you go, have worked their entire lives to get there mm-hmm. and are yeah. beyond fulfilled. Or if they want other things, most of us want beyond what we're doing, whether you're a principal or an ensemble. Um, and I think it's a really interesting Well, that's part of the naivete of, of not being in the business and some people you know see just the glitz and the mm-hmm. shine and the tony awards I was just and they don't say the see like too. dragging yourself to sign up for a, an audition at 8 a.m and then coming back at 11 30 you know what i mean Absolutely. I, I, I was lucky i had representation early on i didn't have to do that i had those 5 a.m wake ups in college yeah. and i'm grateful for it. i think it served me um immensely in my um drive to make things happen for myself but i think it's an interesting um, especially with the Tonys, like in certain things where ensembles aren't recognized. And I find, which really drives me freaking insane for the record, that when we do talk about the ensemble, now we're just talking about who's the hottest ensemble member. So then it's solely, excuse me while I like no, scoot off vet, in that chair. Let it out. Uh, then we're just honoring <laughs> pretty people, yeah. which all of those pretty people are so freaking talented. So that's not... The problem, but why are we not telling those pretty people they're also freaking talented? So instead of having this article that says the hottest members of Broadway, right. it should say ensemble members who are freaking kicking ass and what sure. they're doing because well, they are yeah. and they shouldn't just be minimized yeah, to I their know. looks. We have the gypsy robe, so we do want right. somebody who has sustained a career. Which is just about sustaining, though. Yes, not about talent. But it's still incredible I think everybody is absolutely but we just so then it goes to the show counting still we can be a very small minded uh, we haven't figured out a way to honor really incredible work that goes beyond how many shows you've been in yeah and the commercial element of it but I do I mean I love the gypsy robe tradition yeah and I think that's so incredible but then it still goes back to show counting yeah sure well that's uh, what we do we're a very and we are competitive-minded and, and yeah. we're classists, not racist. What's the word when you look at class differentiation? No, she's just in the ensemble. Oh, no, he's mm. playing the lead. Mm. You know. Yes, absolutely. But they're both in equity. They both get insurance. They both have a pension. They both. Um, and people in the industry, I think, understand all this to a certain extent. Oh, sure. I think people... You don't talk to any leads who go, the ensemble does nothing. And you don't talk to any ensemble oh, members. That, no. Yeah, it's like it's, everybody in this industry understands how difficult it is to do every capacity, whether it's tech, whether it's onstage, offstage, creatives. Like, we respect it so much, but it is a, um, you only know it when you're in it, I guess. Mm-hmm, and it's, sure. I feel, and everyone hates when they go home, right? And grandma asks, like, what are you up to? Are you moving home? Like, are you dancing? Because sure. people don't get it. I you got know? it just last week. So I was talking to strangers who were visiting from Melbourne, Australia. I just ran into them on the street. And uh, they asked what I do. 
and I said, oh, I'm an actor. I, you mm. know, I'm an actor in the city. And she goes, oh, what television shows have you done that we've maybe seen you in? I said, ah, oh, no, no. No. You haven't. <laughs> and then you're like, Certainly hard. not in Australia. No, <laughs> I black. didn't care. No, I just kind of, no, I work mainly in the musical theater on the stage. And I said, oh, well, that's great. And people are very, I mean, when, it, people are very impressed by being a Broadway actor. It's an incredible industry but it is something yeah. that's not accessible to everybody so then if you're not in front of their face on a big screen you're, you haven't succeeded exactly i think we got onto this and i keep putting one finger up because i wanted to say when no, i when please. that message came into my consciousness around age 20 that i was leaning away from the dance world yeah. to the singing actor world it was that I didn't like the feeling in the room as much at being a dancer. I I was I felt like I was being bossed around. You have to do it like this. No, turn out, Absolutely. lift your hand higher over your head. Now smile, Jim. You know, and and I felt like I was I was monkeying what the choreographer wanted. And frankly, that's that's kind of what you have to do as a dancer because right. you have to match everybody. Absolutely. In general, you Absolutely. match. And that wasn't not it was number one not as interesting to me and number two I didn't feel like I had the talent I heard that as a joke somebody said that was just last week they said said oh I work in the theater oh are you uh, do you play leads or are you in the ensemble it says oh I can't be in the ensemble I'm not talented enough. Oh, and I believe that I just I'm not my dancing and singing skills are good but they weren't as I wasn't the best singer or the best dancer in mm. any ensemble ever mm. And I realized, oh, it's my versatility that I feel more at home in. Creating mm. a funny character or creating any kind of character. That was yeah. that invention was more interesting to me than falling in line. Also, I just, like I said, I didn't feel I had the, the knack for it. And there is a, absolutely. And everybody finds what's most authentic to yeah how they want to express themselves and that can change and that's part of if you start understudying and you're like I don't want to understudy anymore yeah. I want to play the actual yeah. lead or I've if you're swing and you want to be on stage every night yeah. or you don't want to yeah. be on stage there are every swings night. and I just say how do you keep those five roles in as well it's crazy but I do it and yeah. I, it's so exciting when I get to go on totally like, and some people my I fiance die swinging he did it for the first time and he was like I don't like the math part of it I don't like the papers and figuring out where they go and I love like a highlighter sharpie <laughs> moment and I can make a folder I love that stuff and he's like I want to get my hands on the roll yeah. and it doesn't make that a bad thing him. I could only imagine yeah. especially based on what you've said so far yeah. I mean I can be organized and yeah. like the puzzle of certain things in my life but not yeah. When the audience is going to be out there and I go, on, oh, where does he move his chair to? Well, totally. come from away. You've seen, like, imagine some of them cover five roles. And that show is a, um oh. ensemble-driven masterpiece. Oh, so, yes. like... Constant moving of chairs and you tables. You gotta know it. And to spikes. And it's not that bright sometimes on the stage. And, the, and there are a lot of spikes on that stage. Yeah. And it's gotta happen. showing me. Fast. Those transitions are so important because yeah. you're also playing multiple characters. Yes. So then to transition from playing one role to your next yeah. role, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's it's great, but it's mm, mm. I admire ensemble and especially swings. Oh, Ooh. big time! Shout out to all oh the my ensemble God. and swings out there. Um, I would love for you. So now, when did Merrily We Roll Along happen? 
after this Frank Lesser We're review. We're not very far off. All these things I love are kind of connected. Yeah. Meaning, Perfectly Frank ran two weeks. Mm. The second week, two momentous things happened. One's very sad. John Lennon was assassinated. Very I, sad. Yes. And I also <laughs> went to the call. <laughs> back to you. Now back to my narcissistic uh, shallow <laughs> moment. I went to the callback for Merrily We Roll Along because uh, I had gone to a, a the two most important things in history oh, that week. Well, Absolutely. Well, yeah. I, I I wanted to put it in some perspective. Absolutely. Because no, I love that. Lot, it helps people go. Oh, I didn't realize it yeah. was in the same week. Oh my god, insane! Um, Total insanity. Yeah. So I was thrilled to go to the callback just because I thought, well, I'm going to meet Stephen Sondheim. I'm going to meet Harold Prince. I'll probably meet George Firth. That had a feel so oh, incredible. It was huge. Oh. And I've told this story many times. Please. That was enough. Yeah. That's the story. Oh. That would have been enough. Absolutely. I just wanted to meet him. Yeah. I just wanted bragging rights for a while. Hey, I went to the mayor. I didn't get cast, but I met I sang for Stephen Sondheim and Harold Prince. Totally. Well, I I went to the callback. It was the, I don't know, you might know the story. It was a long day. Well, I've watched the documentary. Okay, yeah, it was a long... Which I have to recommend to everybody on Netflix. Please say the name of it because I'll butcher it. Well, it's a long title. Best Worst Thing That Ever Could Have Happened. Watch it for every musical theater nerd, every person who's just curious. God, it's It's so well done. And Jim Walton is all over that shit, so uh, prepare yourselves. I was so... Uh, lucky to be in the right time and place for that. And yeah. I didn't think I'd be cast because I was 25. And in comparison to the cast, that was older. I was the oldest male there. Although, someone once told me that Forrest Ray, sorry Forrest, sorry, might be Forrest. older than me. But I don't know. We gotta call him. Yeah, doggone it. Alright, we'll find him. Yeah. We gotta know his birthday. <laughs> yeah, Forrest. Um, but I got cast. Um, and what did it feel like? Because obviously, um, we know how the story ends um, in musical theater history. However, was it this like magnetic, electric excitement about doing the show with that creative team and you just thought it was going to be the biggest thing? That oh, yeah. Incredible. Absolutely. I mean, everything you could imagine, it was. I mean, yeah. we were cast in a musical written by the greatest, in my opinion still, yeah. composer-lyricist and directed by this extraordinarily su- successful man, Harold Prince. Amazing. Whose shows we all knew and I'd seen, at least I had seen Sweeney Todd. And had been so successful. Yeah. So um, then you went from being what role to what role? I was his lawyer, Jerome. Mm-hmm. First. That's my lawyer, Jerome. Uh, he's mentioned many times in Franklin Shepard, Inc., the song. Um, and I, it, was a, it was a featured role. I yeah. think I might have had, I don't know, 12, 15 lines. Not a big part, but I, had, was, I had some billing. Um, and sang a couple of lines mm. uh, here and there in Now You Know. Um, um, but the show changed so much during previews. Yeah. Uh, transitions were cut or changed and songs were cut out and added and switched around and as was the, the leading role, the role of Frank was... That's a long story. I don't need to drag you through it, but no, uh, I I'm just so curious. That had a, obviously watching the documentary. We they talk about that yeah. about you going from that role to them deciding um, to go a different direction with yeah. Frank. Yeah. And who became Frank? You I did. did. <laughs> oh right. That um, had to be was, insane. Uh, it also probably yeah. had to be um, slightly uncomfortable. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was both. Yeah. Because James Weisenbach, the original Frank Shepard, yeah. was, was in the show, yeah. in previews, and I was basically asked by Harold Prince, um, speaking for the pr- production team, the producers, who wanted to see someone on, else on in the role of Frank, just to see, because they were uncertain. So they gave me, it was like four and a half days to learn it. And was it all kind of secret? Like it was like, No, oh, no, okay. because I was going to be rehearsing at the theater at times, mm. and everybody was there every day, including Crazy. James, and so he was told that that coming Friday and Saturday, I would go on for two shows. Wow. And then I would either go back to Jerome, and he'd stay frank, or I would be frank. And then, if that happens, they told him. I believe this is this is what I heard. Yeah. That that he would have been offered either my role or a, a place in the show if he wanted to remain. They weren't firing him. Right. Or they would let him leave if he was Unhappy rather do that. And, yeah. So that's uh, that's what I believed happened. That um, I did inherit the role, and I think James chose to uh, leave on. the show. Yeah. yeah. But it was uncomfortable because right. I had scenes with him. I was his lawyer. Mm. He knew yeah. that I was learning it. So, and there's such like a... You have to feel like you're safe on stage with the people that you're working with. Yes. And so to have that moment where you don't want to be in competition with each other. Nobody wanted to be in that position. But you were asked to step up to an opportunity that of course was in your best interest to learn. And sure. if they decided to go that direction, fine. If they decided to stay with what they had, great. But... To have to do that yeah, together that had to be un- difficult. That was difficult. Yeah. And I I look back with regret, mm. wishing that I had had the wherewithal as a 26-year-old man to be able to go and have a heart-to-heart with him when yeah. I heard the news. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. I, I was like overwhelmed with, Absolutely. holy cow, I've got to learn all this. And how crazy the process already was and all yeah. the different like all the changes that were being made it's easy to give myself a break looking back like sure. we're doing now but yeah. I still wish that I could have um, gone back I, I wish I could have been more uh, upfront with him about my feeling this is awkward isn't it yeah my <laughs> I, I something I learned this year was when in doubt say something yeah if you're on the um, line of ooh but we'll be uncomfortable if I reach out ooh but well, they think it's weird. It's like when in doubt, just say yeah. something. Yeah, and you wouldn't have known that at That's the time. That's why you're such a lovely person. Oh, you're very kind. But it's I true. Had well, a I had through screwing up. So yeah, me too. I'm, <laughs> I'm still learning that. Absolutely. But you know, it it went fine, and we previewed for another like three weeks or however long. We previewed for five weeks or seven weeks wow. it previewed a long time wow yeah because they made a lot of changes that's a long process to be yeah. rehearsing during the day and shows at performing night performing at night yeah. yeah very tiring and so then when you realized that the show was not going to um no. stay <laughs> well I got my Barrymore apple yeah. and, and I, I threw, threw it against the I don't remember the Barrymore, uh, Barrymore apple for Marilee maybe so. they skipped you guys for that yeah, one they did. we didn't yeah. deserve the apple they no interest they heard about what I did with Perfectly Frank's apple oh my god uh, they probably no. did hear from it's just a waste how rude so what what happened after so then the show didn't uh, sustain no 
<laughs> oh, but it's such like a, it's so cherished by the musical oh, theater yeah. community in so many, it's so well, fascinating. Again, this is true. When <laughs> the, the second week of our final week of the run, mm. we were told RCA is going to record it. Then we heard RCA, RCA is not going to record it because we're closing and they don't want to the investment the, and, make the investment yeah. on a show that's not going to run. And what I understand is, I can't say it happened, was that I heard that Harold Prince told them, you recorded Steve's and my shows, and if you don't record this one, we're done. Wow. I don't know if that's true. I'm sorry, Hal, if that's yeah. incorrect. But that's what I heard. That's that, a powerful statement, that though, that he speaks highly of them. And, or it could have also been that Tom Shepard, who was the uh, the producer, the, the main guy, recording engineer, uh, loves Steve Sondheim's yeah. work, you know, and did so many shows with him. So uh, for whatever reason, they did yeah. it. The day after we closed, we recorded the, the original Broadway cast. And it album. lives. It lives on. on. Well, and then I remember when I heard, we're going to record it, I went, okay. Mm. Now, it's almost like, uh, this sounds grandiose, but I almost thought, okay, now I'm, I will live forever. The show will live forever. Yeah. I will forever be connected to it because the score is brilliant. I knew it then. It's like right. it is brilliant. Yeah, and so unique and so hummable, and yeah. you just get it. And I thought, now people in years to come, people are gonna love Merrily. And you were right. And now look. Yeah, people do it at universities. Yeah. Um, people sing the rep. They make documentaries about it. They make documentaries on Netflix about it. It's fascinating. I mean, obviously that show served an even greater purpose than being a long-running show. There was so much to be gained from that experience, and um, thank God there is a cast recording. Yeah. And that it's so difficult. It's so financially difficult to record albums. Yeah. And I know that's something that comes up in shows nowadays is... When shows are not as financially successful, whether to record or performances at the Tonys or the different things that can come up. So um, it really is very interesting, and I'm glad that that was the well, outcome. We were, yeah, very, very lucky. But after that, it was a depressing time. Yeah. You know, what would, came next? Was it well, unemployment for a bit? Unemployment, and I did some industrials. Yeah. Back then, trade shows. Yeah. I, I, they don't do them as much now. No, but industrials are definitely still such a um, lucrative opportunity. When you get a chance to do one, yeah. that paycheck can be very Make, nice in the midst of unemployment. Absolutely. I know I did maybe a couple of them and maybe a commercial did you have any survival jobs that were not theater based how were you sustaining I, I almost had to wait tables I almost waited at tables at what was called McHale's which okay. was a, a big stagehand hangout <laughs> cool. it was on 47th and 8th Avenue where the Sa- uh, is it next to the Samuel Friedman I, I think there's an apart, a high rise apartment building there now Totally. Um, I think I know where you're talking maybe about. Maybe an eau beau pain or something downstairs or a frat-a-manger. I, I, I don't yes. know. It's, it's the northeast corner of 47th. So you almost worked there. I did. Oh, I yeah. applied and okay. said, yeah, come in tomorrow night to, or Friday night whenever to, to follow someone. Awesome. Trail someone. Then the next day I was offered an industrial and I went, I got to go. Come in. And then that job led to the next. And then I, I never stopped. Or I, I did, but I, I was able period. to, yes, I was able to sustain some income somehow. But 
piano is was a side uh, job, and it still is once in a while. It's pretty incredible when you can find um, side hustles. I think mm. it's so important, and this has been my journey, I think, this past year, is finding side work that is not just giving me financial freedom, but it's actually allowing me to use my skill sets um, that are not singing and dancing. You know, things that are... Um, that I'm good at and that make me happy but are not things I want to do for the rest of my life. Sure, but they bring I think in... You, yeah, they're bringing in the money and at least when I go to work, I'm happy. That's great. You know, and it's... I think that's a really difficult thing and I don't know how to find those survival jobs for everybody but I think finding survival work that actually gives you some sort of expansiveness as a human being is so crucial so that you don't oh, spend two years of unemployment feeling like you wasted your life no, waiting for your just, show. We need connection. We need yeah. to feel responsible. Oh, I have something to do. They need me at work today because yes. I, whatever it is that you do. I made the mistake after I got home from my first tour of saying, you know what? I'm going to live off the money I saved. I'm not going to get a job. It's going to be great. I'm, I had gone on tour right after school, so it was the first time living in New York City. Um not having a schedule I thrive on a schedule so that was my first mistake um well that's how you learn yeah and by November I got home in August I was like a shell of a human being and not because auditions weren't going fine or there weren't opportunities but because I wasn't doing anything beyond auditioning going to Pearl Studios and taking dance class and that's not a way to live no because you were so much more than that. Sure. You know? Well, we're, we need each other. We need yeah. human. We need to share time with people, not just socially, but like I said, I, I need to feel that uh, I have a job to do and I'm needed somewhere. Yes. I feel that way as well. No. And I think that's important to acknowledge. Uh, um, absolutely. So now I would love for you to kind of... Your resume is so interesting because... You've done something like Merrily, and then you've done Sweeney Todd, but you've also done 42nd Street. Mm-hmm. It's so fascinating how you go from like song and dance to not song and dance. <laughs> I know, those two camps almost. It's pretty fascinating. I'm lucky to be in, what, not to diminish anyone else, but the Sondheim camp and the Stroman camp. Yes. You know, to, but of course, 42nd Street both. wasn't Stroman, so you know right. what I mean. But, but she, that like um, revival uh, golden age show, sure. I mean, that is a, I get it. And we're in the 42nd Street family together, but. <laughs> yes, that's so wonderful to <laughs> An share extended family. Um, what were those experiences like and um, how did you navigate their differences and what the shows required of you? Because they required very different things, I would have to imagine. Yes, they did. Although, to be fair, something like 42nd Street, Billy Lawler requires a, a nice bel canto tenor yep. to sing eight times a week. On top of da- dancing, tap dancing on dimes. On a dime yeah. And uh, doing so the 42nd Street ballet, etc. And there's some light comedy with, you know, getting to be a habit with me, you know, that. Yeah. But the singing was needed for Anthony and Sweeney Todd. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's basically singing and acting. Right. Sweeney Todd. Was singing you were not tap dancing no, in dancing. Sweeney Todd. So I, I do admit, like, when I would get into a song and dance role, I would go, oh, I've got to pull my dancing along. Mm-hmm. I've got to spend extra time on it. And I would. I would take my video camera and an accompaniment on tape to a studio for a couple of hours. And I would video myself dancing. Wow. The routines. And then, then I would watch that guy 
and they go, well, he's, you got to keep your head up when you're turning. You're looking down. What are you, why are you looking at? And so then I would do it again, giving my, I would basically direct myself. And did you find that that empowered you more than it did like, it helped me. Did I it go too insecure with it? Uh, no, I think it helped me as a dancer and it, and it did empower me like, Hey, I've worked on this. I deserve to dance yeah. the best that I can. So enjoy And you were it. learning how you dance too, yeah. which I think mm-hmm. is important of yeah. how to place what you do into someone else's world that they yeah. create on mm-hmm. stage. Cause I think you can try to be what everyone else wants you to be, but I think you're the most powerful when you are who you are and then you let that um, manipulate the choreography. Exactly, yeah. Very well said. So when I would go into a song and dance role, sometimes I would think, oh, my dancing could use a little help. Or I'd go to the choreographer or the dance captain and say, can you watch this section and how can I be better? And I would do it. And in a show like Sweeney Todd, it would be more the acting. Uh, I would go to my voice teacher once a week and talk about any problems I might have. Sure. But, but it was more, um, well, what do, what do I need to do? Well, really connect with your partner, really listen to them and respond truthfully and do a, a, an emotional preparation before you enter so there's something there. Yeah. You know, so I'd have to go back to the rudiments of acting to remind myself. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I still do. Yeah. I, you know, I still do. Yeah. So... It just depends whatever my assignment is. Sometimes I have to change my preparation or how I approach it. Mm. Not change it. I, I have to remind myself. Yeah. Stop thinking about yourself. Look at your partner and let them affect you. That's mm. You're reacting. You're not acting. You're, yeah. You're trying to... Uh, awesome. That's com- my come from away thing, you know, because it's easy to just get lost in, it's all me, me, me up here, and I've got to do this, then I've got to do that, then I'm... It's a team sport up there. Just get jump in the river with everybody else and go, which is takes a lot of trust and a lot of trust. The safe place of being on stage together. Yeah. Um. So now, with that being said, so as we mentioned before, that was the beginning. So much of the beginnings of your career, which Mm -hmm. has sustained forty years. I know. I don't want to remind you, but I want to remind you. And there were five before that. Non-equity before Absolutely. That. I started at 18 and I'm 63. Wow. So yeah. Insane. What has been your greatest accomplishment or the job and experience that you've had that has been the most impactful to you? It doesn't have to be the thing that got the most accolades or the thing that you received the most praise. What was your most expansive moment as Gosh, a performer? That's so hard. People yeah. have asked that question. and It could be something, anything. Maybe it's not one experience, but something that you were like, this is why I'm doing it. Well, I always say the most impactful experience in my life was the birth of my daughter. Oh, I now love that. that. But that's it's true. And it was yes. per- the most profound moment mm. of my life. But... Because... That's a life moment. That's yes, so much it was bigger the than real thing. And a it's like, holy and... cow, what a miracle life is. Mm. And here's this this little eight oh. pound, seven yeah. pound, six ounce human being that How I was incredible. a part of creating. Yeah. That to me is. But I, that's the most profound. But then I go to the shows. I, I don't know. I, I keep going back to Crazy for You because it demanded so much of me. Mm. Um, Although I didn't play the piano in it. You did not uh, play the piano in it well, from what I heard. No. <laughs> but still, it, it asked singing, acting, and dancing. But mm. also comedy and physical comedy and a tender mom- tender moments. And uh, Where was that in your career? Was that earlier on? I was, uh, I booked it when I was, uh, don't rush me, 38. Oh, okay. 
Yes. So you had been around. Yeah. I turned 39 halfway through the run of it in Toronto. I did it in Toronto for a year. Mm. And, and I, it, yeah, I remember you telling me that. Then Sydney, Australia for six months, and then various cities across the United States. But that role, because it demanded so much of me, mm-hmm. it also rewarded me so much. With uh, and you never did it in New York. N- no, I, think I that's, never did. I think that's an yeah. important part of the story because of the fact it was not the Broadway show, but it still no. served a huge purpose right. in your life, and uh, sounds like it was very yeah. impactful. Yes, it was. Um, but then also that it was taped, PBS taped it. And so in a sense, I was like, I, I was really lucky to be a part of that mm. production at Paper Mill. So it was like, holy cow, this is as close as I'll get to being Fred Astaire. Yes. I'm being filmed. He outdances me clearly, <laughs> but this is me doing my best to... So that, that, was, that was huge. Yes. That's just one show. But then again, to look at all the Sondheim experiences I've had. Yeah, you've spoken very highly of your Sondheim experiences and how that's influenced you. It's the best material Mm. and just so rich and deep and and challenging and rewarding. Do you miss material like that right now in our current state of the industry? Oh, yeah. I do as well. Yeah. I'm a... um, I'm a critic of the work that we're creating in the Mm. musical theater industry and I'm okay. Um being vocal about it because I think we need to demand more uh-huh. of what we think needs to be said mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot of shows that are doing it very well your show being one of them I just saw Hades Town. I think that was incredible um, oh I really loved it and I love that I saw it and some people had other things to say about it and we were talking about the intricacies of the show and how we disagreed and I was like that is actually a good thing that yeah. we it got you talking heard exactly and I think obviously we're in a day and age where we have to create shows that make money mm-hmm. because a lot of tourists come to the city and you have to sustain it and obviously producers want to make their money back. You want actors to keep their jobs. Everyone wins if the show stays open. But I think in turn we're playing it safe and I don't know if we're telling stories that yeah. deserve to be told. I understand what you're saying. Sure. And I don't know how... Um, I think it will take time to invite new creatives into the field to hopefully work with current creatives. Um, We need more women. We need more people of color telling stories. And it has become a primarily dominant white man industry because those are the people who have the accessibility to it. Sure. And we are opening slowly. People like Lin-Manuel Miranda. Sure. um, Shows like Choir Boy have just done so much already for um, getting visibility onto the stage and into the rehearsal space even more so. So I think it will be important to challenge that. And I think, you know, what I loved from Come From Away, which you're currently in, is that it was such an ensemble-driven piece that everybody served such an incredible purpose in the show. Um, And it was a different way of telling the story. Mm. You know, you had a creative team that could have told the story in a million different ways and have told stories um, in different ways. And used incredible movement and music and visuals to really, I mean, I think they created a masterpiece. Well, yeah, it's it's story theater or whatever you want, documentary. It's, it's really, it's a documentary. Yeah. Because we all talk to the camera or mm-hmm. to the audience. Yeah. You know. You break that wall all the yeah. time. And I think there are ways to do that with revivals and ways to do that with new shows that 
are relatable and mm-hmm. um, provoke you. Yes. Well, there are those shows that do that. Mm-hmm. And some that but are aiming towards a different cross-section of society. And I yeah. don't mean to diminish any show, no. so I'm not going to mention them. And the but work that goes into it sure. is still so important to acknowledge, but... Yeah, but Sondheim's <laughs> voice, I kind of feel like, I hate to say it, this Sondheim era happened, and he's going to be an immortal uh, yes, forever. big time. Um, but not so much his did his audience die out. I think his audience either died know. out or changed. Did a lot of people coming to the city, you know how much it costs to get a house seat, to get a, an Absolutely. orchestra seat? I mean, Absolutely. To, to get a half-price ticket for me is like, all right, I'll pay $85 to go see this. Yeah. Sitting on the side. Yeah. It is not easy. It. Yeah, and we are in the industry. I know. And to not be able to see things and educate ourselves on what's happening. And you think, like, even going to the movie theater for some families is, like, right now so difficult because to take yeah, even two movies. children, it's going to cost you almost $100 yeah. for food if you want and popcorn, tickets. Absolutely. God forbid you want you a bottle of water. Popcorn. That's half the reason yeah, for the movie. Totally. Just I'm that popcorn. way as well. So then to get people to the theater. Yeah. I mean, it's so difficult. But here, let me say that Please. isn't the Broadway theater successful now? I think it is. Theaters are full. It's hard yes. for new shows to get a theater. So yes. theater isn't failing. No. What's happened is it's gotten really expensive and people are paying to see stars or shows that get really good notices or good word of mouth. Yeah. And I think we've figured out some equation yeah. that we think works and mm-hmm. I think we're scared um, to fully break out of that. And you have shows like a Hamilton that broke out of that equation big time and proved a huge yeah. point to the industry that we can do more yeah. and that audiences are smart enough mm-hmm. to handle it yep. and can be. Um, and I think that it's going to be very interesting and I'm very excited to see more women crush mm. through the scene because yeah. I just, I think that stories are being told from perspectives of men that it would be very um, exciting to see it told from the perspective of a, a woman or story. a person of color or a minority in any sure. way. Um, and from your experiences, what has been kind of the biggest difference for you navigating all the different seasons of a life in theater? Has Have you just grown as you have grown and you've just found shows that all of a sudden you grew into a role that worked for you or you just learned how to navigate the changing industry? What, yeah. what has sustained you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> to the best of your knowledge. I know. It's a hard question. Well, yeah, there's probably a lot of factors. People who have worked it with me, I think, generally know that I'm a musician and I'm fast yeah. to learn. So I'm dependable in that sense. If you want me to understudy, I did a fair amount of that with Roundabout Organization, which was fantastic. Um, so that kind of tiptoed me into character roles. I guess my favorite story about that Please. was in 2008 I got a, an, um, an appointment to audition for a revival of Guys and Dolls that played the Nederlander in 2009 and it didn't run very long it ran about four months maybe um, it wasn't uh, welcomed 
with open arms by the critics. Oh, you don't um, say. No. <laughs> um, but I went and I auditioned for like Denny South Street and didn't feel really right for it. I, I don't see me as a Benny South Street or Nicely Nicely Johnson. Yeah. But then I got a, a, like a third call, come back in again and read for Harry the Horse. All right. All right. And I went, Harry the Horse? Yeah. I don't know if you know the show very well. He's the guy who brings Big Julie into the game. Big Julie is the one who, has, I think he's from Chicago and he's got all the money and so Nathan Detroit has to get this crap game going because there's this guy with all this money and right. if you don't do it. So uh, Harry the Horse brings him in and Harry's from Brooklyn. So I said, all right, I worked on the Brooklyn accent. I decided I was going to talk down here like this. Nathan, you got to find the place for the game, you know. Oh. So I watched, okay. you know, like Godfather yes. and uh, like Goodfellas. I just watched some Scorsese films, just a couple. And I'd seen them all, right? I thought, oh, that's what I want to do. Yes. I don't want to move much. Just talk down here like this. <laughs> but then I, I... That is very well. But well that, But that's, you know, I thought, what am I going to do? And I didn't shave for about four or five days. And... Um, but then I thought, well, why is it called Harry the Horse? This is this is what goes back to I credit CCM where I said, no, I wanna I wanna be quirky and invent stuff. I wanna I don't wanna dance. I wanna. So I thought, why is it called Harry the Horse? I'm like, well, well, I don't know. He he gambles on the horses. Well, who 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 are these guys? Doesn't these these hoodlums who play crap games? You know. Uh, well, maybe he has a horse farm. So they call him Harry the Horseman. He never mentions that he has a horse farm or that he goes to the races. And then, being the question uh, said, what if he, he was nicknamed Harry the Horse in high school because he had horse-like characteristics? And I thought, well, that's specific. And I thought, well, what is it? I thought, oh, what if he has a whinnying laugh? Uh. So I worked up this, this high, out of nowhere, a whinnying laugh. And I would stomp my foot. So that's why I was named Harry the Horse. He, he laughs like a horse. So I would talk down here like this. Then somebody would say something and I would laugh like that. And I think that's why I booked. And that was like an hour before I went in for the call, the, the idea came to me. And I thought it was hilarious. And I thought they're either going to love like it. nailed it. Yeah, they're going to either love it or they're going to go, really? You're going to make horse sounds? Harry the Horse? That's like acting 101. Get out. And I thought, Jim, do it. Because you're not going to book. You don't have a better idea. <laughs> this is your best idea. Yeah, it's your best idea. It. Laugh like a horse. Well, they laughed so hard when I did it. And I, and I did it two or three times in this scene. And every time I did it, they laughed. And I went. And I walked out. And people, my friends were going, what did you do? What, did, what happened? I said, well. I laughed like I a laughed horse. Like a horse. But I thought, go ahead and laugh like a horse if you want. I, I walked out. <laughs> first <laughs> do what you want to do but isn't that the whole point yeah. about um bringing yourself into the room and if it mm-hmm. works for yeah them, it doesn't work yeah then mm-hmm. great if it doesn't not your gig right Brittany that was the central question of it not the idea a lot of people could get that idea it was like the courage to go you know what screw it this is what I'm going to take in yeah and I'm going to commit like hell to do it and if they don't like it well I, I don't need to do guys and dolls for yeah Bible. And the rejection can feel so personal. Like it's a um, criticism against you as a human being and your talent level and what you have to offer. And sometimes it 
a lot of the times. It's really just that simple of, mm. it just doesn't fit into yeah. what they're looking for. And yeah. either you see the show and you go, oh, oh that's right, and yep. that's the best feeling in the world. Because it doesn't mean that what they went with was not good. But you went, oh, well, if that's what you wanted, you right. really didn't want me, and that's okay. You're right. We're back to that question about what people learn in, in mm-hmm. universities is to fit into what the, the teachers suppose is going to be expected of their former Type students. and their yeah. look and their Rather than, set. how can I bring you up? Oh, you Harry the horse. Oh, that's why. Oh, you think he laughs like a horse? Well, that's, to me, that's creativity. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not bragging, but to me, that's what I'm more proud of. And I only cite that story as... I love that Going story. into character roles. I'm mm-hmm. not saying I look for roles, ways to laugh like a horse. No, that's silly. But I look for ways, well, how can I expand this or make this character resonate with me? It sounds like you like to do the work. Yeah. You really do enjoy diving into that text and making it your own. I enjoy it, but it's also got to cover my butt. Because to walk into a room, and I have not thoroughly investigated Mm. the character and how I can bring the most to it, well, then I haven't done my job, and I and I feel like well, I don't deserve it. I stink. And um, do you find it's difficult to do that now? When I think actors get a lot of material now in a very short amount of time. Yeah. Mm. I, from my experience, it's a lot of when we could condense it and we could give people less to do more with, mm-hmm. and we could give them more time to do it. Which casting is doing the best they can, getting materials from creatives and being told what they want, and you don't get as enough time to bring your best work exactly. into the room. You're, that's another crucial point. I've told my agents this many times. They'll go, we have an appointment for you to, tomorrow afternoon, and here's the sides. It's a page and a half, and I just say, you know, thank you, but I'm not going to go. I just need more time with it. And I and know even that, a page and a half in comparison to four page. songs. Yeah, I and, know. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and I right? know. I don't blame them because casting totally. sends it to them, and they send it to me that day. No, I would need a week with this. I said, I'm sorry, I would need a week. Because you know going in, you're not just auditioning for that show. You're auditioning for, for any other agent. show that casting Absolutely. agency does. Yeah. So, so to not be able to be yeah. your best self is... Yeah. So I was lucky with Guys and Dolls. I, it was probably over a week's time I had three auditions. Same with Come From Away. I probably had over a three-week period. I think I got the audition and I, it was a week and a half later and I had a lot of time to work on it. And I went to see the show, made notes, worked on it, got a call back. And that was like... A week and a half after that, but in the meantime, I went to a dialect coach, Stephen mm-hmm. Gabus, who's terrific, whom I worked with in Guys and Dolls, oh, and worked awesome. with him on the British and the Gander dialects. Mm-hmm. You know, so if I have time, I'm I need time. Freaking invest. Then in I it. invest, and then I then I'm more confident walking in, and I go, mm-hmm. well, I know I'm going to do the best I can, and that's all that I can ask of myself. Yeah. But if I don't have time, I'm kind of going. I hope. You, I do okay. Yeah, the stress of the time doesn't allow you to dissect any of what it sounds like yeah. you have found to be what allows you to be most successful in the room mm-hmm. and to be more yourself in yes. the room, to be able to bring yeah. you. And that's me. Some people, men sure. and women, just like, oh, I'm glad I only had a day to work on it. You I would can't get heady about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So some, and sometimes that's happened with me too. I go, oh, well. Forget it. I'll just go in and I'll wing it. Yep. Sometimes winging it will work. Yeah. Usually it doesn't work for me because I, I tend to clam up and give a very general audition. Right. And I don't make choices or I don't commit to the choices I make. And I do think the dancer comparison to that is my favorite line huh. when I'm in a dance audition is, we're going to teach this very fast because 
it's a really fast rehearsal process. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> totally. Welcome to theater. Thank you for educating me. That's a cop out. Yeah. Because if you don't give me the tools that I need to succeed here, that is not my fault. Yeah. That is yours. Absolutely. And if you don't want to have appointments and you want to only have an ECC, fine. I totally understand. And you have a lot of people you have to get through. Your time frame is small. But you are not going to get your best people. No. You are going to get people who learn fast, sure. And that's a very valuable skill set. But you won't get the people who go home and work their freaking ass off yeah. on material so they come in the next day. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's a... Um, well, isn't that... But don't you think... I think it's money talking. Let me put it that way. I agree. We only have Space this room for eight hours, and the dance audition is four hours, so I'm sorry. $60 And we for have the room. 200 people to see. That means you're in here for five minutes, and yep. next group. Yep. It's just, it's so money-driven. And there, I'm sure those creatives have people breathing down their necks about it, and sure. they want, I have no doubt, to spend more time with the people they're going to hire, which is why... You cycle through the same people yeah. so consistently because you know you can trust them and you don't get enough time with the people that you don't know yeah. to fully believe that they can execute your work um, until you can infiltrate that circle. Sure. I always joke. I'm like, I'm just infiltrating circles is really to be an ensemble dancer in New York City, you know? Well, I get it. Yeah. You're exactly right. And I'm sure it's the same being a lead I, and getting well, someone feel, to trust yeah. you. When I go to, even when I went to the Come From Away callback and went, oh wow, Billy Humans is here. Oh wow, Michael X. Martin is here. People, Don Stevenson, these people that I've competed against, I went, oh, I felt like I've made it into this, this inner circle is a little yes. different. It's, yes. it's really. It's a good feeling. Yeah. And you've yeah. done a lot to get to that point. And from there, it's a preference for casting yeah. of who in that moment, in that select group of people is what they're looking for in that yeah. moment. Yeah. Because the work's been done. Exactly. But So we have our circles that we go, wow, I'm in here with these, these totally. amazing... Totally. I even mentioned a bunch of the other guys. David has these great actors that... Yeah, you know, it's an incredible feeling. It's kind of nerve-making, stress-making, but it's also, hey... It makes me fired me. up. Yeah. yeah, I find in dance auditions when I'm with... Uh, women I've either admired for years or women I know now who I respect in the industry, I'm ready to rock and roll. It's our best yeah. work happening in there. That's great. And I appreciate that. Um, you're amazing. And you are more I amazing. I can't even tell you how much I admire you and what you've done in this industry and how um, honest you are. And I just, it's time for us to wrap it up. Oh, darn. And so I have a couple um, finishing questions that I would like to ask you that I'm asking everybody on the oh show my. that have nothing to do about Performer Gym and everything to do uh, with Human Gym. So what other job would you have if you could not be a performer, a musician, anything outside of what your skill set is in the arts? Mm, that's a good one. I guess I've always been interested in psychotherapy. A lot of times I wanted to be a therapist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I'm in therapy now. I have been many years of my life. I love it. I am an advocate. Oh, huge. That was advice I got during a tour of Pace because I went to Pace University. One, of, I don't even remember the tour guide. 
they said they're like if you're an actor in New York City and you're not in therapy you're doing yourself a disservice absolutely and now I'm not in consistent therapy which I miss um, but it changed my life for when oh, yeah. I was it's um, the, you know know thyself I mean it goes yes. back to Plato it goes back to you have a beautiful opportunity oh, that song to have nobody yeah, yeah. whoever I, I mixed that um, an incredible opportunity to be transparent to be ugly yeah. to grow it's I'm yeah. with you so I love that field of work and admire therapists yes. so much incredible um, what animal would you be <laughs> if you were an animal Ooh. what's your spirit animal I don't really have one I think mm. do you, you really you, is do there you select like, one for yeah. you do, you do you just choose a spirit animal or yeah I can't look up my birthday and go no, you are I a think, I mean I'm sure I'm using the phrase incorrectly as someone probably knows the um, proper way to find out your spirit animal mine is a horse I pick that. You um, pick that. I feel spiritually connected to horses. I've also been told I walk like a horse, which definitely is not a compliment. That's not a compliment. Yeah. I don't think you do. I pick up my front legs a lot. Well, your front legs? <laughs> my front legs. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> like a horse. Now I'm scared. Like a horse's oh, front you, legs. Oh, you kind of go like, like that. Yeah, you there's plop like a little forward. gallop. Yeah. Um, I've not, I'll look for that next time. I don't know what your um, spirit animal is. I should have thought about it before. I don't really know. I don't, I, I think all animals are beautiful and, I mean, I love the apes, of course, because they're human-like, but. If you came back as an animal, would you come back as an ape? Jeez. That'd be fun. All right. Come back as an ape. Oh, then again, very smart. I would love to be a bird just to fly. I kind of think you may be a bird. I think I would choose some kind of bird. That's I'm also a thinking. huge owl fan. I love owls. I think you would absolutely be an owl. Yeah. 100%. Let's say owl is my spirit animal. Well, now you know. I'm glad we figured that out today. <sighs> Thank God I came to it. What's your favorite food and drink if you could have anything on a given day? Well, I, I tend to eat very healthy, so, you know, I... You love fish. I do. Yes, I you know remember that about you. Fish and vegetables. <laughs> Which is very impressive. Well, That's my, what you would eat if you had, like, let's say, no... No, no, I'm not sure. I'd probably have a steak and a yeah. big potato. And, yeah, you know, but yes. I, I haven't had that in ages. What would you be drinking? A, mar- a vodka martini. Yes, you would. I you know, I didn't, I didn't drink when we were together up there. No, when, when, uh, we did I, MAME together yes. out in, um, in Beverly, Beverly Massachusetts. Massachusetts at North Shore. Uh, for those four, I did. I drank three times. I, uh, I tried for a month not to drink. And now, doing this show, I drink once. I don't drink Sunday evening. Oh, I love that. That's a good uh, That's, tradition or ritual that you can look forward to, just sitting and having That's your helped, martini. helped me a lot, too. Mm, good. If anyone who's thinking, maybe I shouldn't drink as much, try it. Because it, it helped me it helped me immensely on stage too. Really? Nerves. It took away a lot of Interesting. Nerves, a lot. I yeah. like that. That's good advice. Mm-hmm. What is something you couldn't live without? Oxygen. Oh, literal. <laughs> I love oxygen. Yeah. I'm breathing it right now. See? You're um, not wrong. What can I oxygen, water? Would live without? Uh, music. Music? Yeah. I love that. I frequently go to YouTube just to say, hey, did Art Tatum ever play... Uh, Oh, I don't know. Uh, Absolutely. Let's misbehave. No, he didn't. Oh, that's too bad. Oh, man. You're like, shut up. <laughs> What's your biggest pet peeve? Gosh. That really grinds your ears. I don't know the biggest. Usually it's my, it's when I'm impatient, it's usually with myself, my own spirit, my own really? intolerance. Wow. Yeah. 
You're a better person than I. Well, it's always, I think... Open mouth chewing. I need to be a bit... Oh, yeah, I don't like open mouth chewing. It fascinates me, though. I'm going... No, I'm like... I could assassinate that person. I am... Well, here's one that happens all the time. I'm walking on the sidewalk, and I hear somebody 20 feet behind me talking on their phone. And they're saying, well, no, I told them I'd be there at 6.30, so if you could get there early and get a table... What? No, I said 6.30, and I just, I stop walking, and I let them pass me, so their voice is mm. in front of me, and then I walk behind them, because it's not invading my oral space. Yes, I do That think. drives me nuts. Yes. It's just like, if you're talking on the phone in public, just just pull over, or yeah. just talk about as loud as I am now. Yeah. You don't need to say, no, I told you. <laughs> it's just like you're screaming on the street. Yeah, that drives me crazy. All right, pet peeve. Yeah. How would you spend your perfect day off? What are your Mondays spent doing? Well... Or Sunday nights, martini. It's more Sunday night, yeah. It's I more of a martini and, and, a, and a movie. Mm. Like usually at home, almost always at home. I don't, I I don't go to the movies night as much. At home. Yeah. yeah. Netflix or go to Amazon Prime and yeah. uh, my girlfriend and I will rent a movie. Yeah. Uh, and because Monday I'm doing laundry, I'm going it's to the grocery. Day, yeah, right? It's grocery yeah. laundry. It's my therapy day, but I love it because that means I can get on my bike and ride to the Upper West Side if it's not raining. Oh, yes. So Monday is good. Yeah. That's fun busy. to get on my bike to ride. I love to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite curse word? Do you curse? Not really? I do, but not not much. Oh, okay. Is this the... Uh, you're oh, we have the explicit on here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my favorite curse word. You don't well, have to have one if cursing ain't your thing. Well, I've certainly cursed, but it's not like... Oh, Jesus Christ is my favorite. Or I say motherfucker. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah, I say holy cow a lot. You do say holy cow a lot. I do. You've yes. noticed that? Oh, it's so funny. Isn't that charming? That's like oh my, my dad. God. No. Holy cow. Holy uh, cow. That'd probably be cursing in India. Yeah, uh, probably. I guess it'd have to be fuck. I, yeah. you know, because it's, it's, it's a powerful word. Yeah, it says everything you need to say. And it's got the fuck. Yeah. It's got, it's kind of sounds the like the very act. Letters. You know, you I hear agree. insertion and stopping. Yes. If I said too much? <laughs> Not in the slightest. The um, mine's motherfucker. I oh, that's good. Mm. And it really says everything I need to say when I use it. I love that. What, you know, polar opposite question. What is happiness to you? Motherfucker. Yes. Uh, no, uh, happiness? In your life. What? It could be a moment. It could be a community. It could be a object. It could be anything. Mm. Gosh. A lot of it is pride of a job well done. Mm. When something's done. I always think of this. I always think of Frank Lester and I always hear my time of day. My time of day is the dark. When I'm walking home from a gig late at night. Yeah. And I've just made maybe a hundred dollars. Maybe yeah. not. Maybe fifty. It doesn't matter. But I've I've gone on and I've done my best and people yeah. appreciated it. And I'm walking down Ninth Avenue and I just realize I'm so lucky to live in this city and do what I do. And people giving me these opportunities and they pay me. And I get to hear Frank Lesser's song in my head. It's just music, hearing. Yeah, grounding. Just, yeah. No, I don't know. Being alive, I know it's crazy. It's just, But that's uh, the moment that you feel most alive, it sounds mm-hmm. like. Sometimes. Where you can step outside of the bullshit of mm-hmm. whatever is happening and the centering moment of. I've done I'm I've doing. done my job and I did it well and I'm happy to be me right now. You know, it's not every day I feel that at all. Absolutely. So. That's incredible. Yeah. Jim Walton. Holy cow. We are this is so, holy cow. What an interview. <laughs> I was so great, Rich. You are extraordinary. I feel um, very inspired by you in so many ways. So I'm thank you honored. for joining me. 
my pleasure. I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much. You're so welcome.